Chapter Twenty One of Curly by Roger Pocock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Twenty One: A Flying Hospital. Captain McCalmont, away north on the trail, pulled up at a bend of the hill. Doc, he called out to the man with the led horse astern, "Just you hitch that sorrel of mine to the tail of this rig." That's right, my son. Now find out if Buck stays at the skyline or goes buttoned straight back to the ranch. All right, Cap. When he was gone, Curly rucked up the canvas ground sheet, climbed out of bed, and nestled against her father's side on the seat. Having a bad time? he asked as he drove on. Sure. You heard what I told the Buck. Buck's gone back to betray the outfit. So I reckon. Curly got her father's near arm around her, shivering while she looked all around at the dusky hills, up to the red of the sunset. Then she listened to the thud of Doc's horse as he galloped back to report. Cap, says the man, Buck's gone straight away to the ranch. <laughs> That's good, McCallum chuckled. You see, Doc, I've sent Buck to lead that sheriff's posse to Holy Cross. We've got to work tonight and ain't hungering none for their company. Do you know the Jim Crow mine? I guess that's the old shaft a mile this side of Grave City. Correct. Now you lope off to the boys we left in camp at Las Aguas. Tell Stanley he's second in command now. He's to round up his boys, herd em close, and drive em swift to the Jim Crow mine. Now repeat my orders. Doc repeated the orders. Now, said the captain, ride. Doc started off on the dead run, and for a while Curly watched his figure flopping away into the blue mists of dusk. The night was falling fast. Poor Buck, she whispered. I'm sorry, too, says McCalmont. Sooner or later he had to be a skunk and behave as such. He's dead says Curly. I heard him die just now, and he did love me so hard. The trail is clearing ahead for you, my girl. I'm sort of tired, she answered. You'll rest tonight. Father, when you was talking with Jim outside the shack, I was awake. I heard all what was said, but couldn't understand. Jim wanted something fearful bad. What was it he wanted, Dad? Wall now, if that don't beat all, you just got ears like a little fox, and didn't I act plumb good and tame with that Jim boy? Which you surely did. Fancy you talking all that war talk and never even shooting his legs. You're getting better and better every day. I was good, that's a fact. You see, I naturally couldn't lose my temper without disturbing you with my gun talk. Besides, I just can't help loving that Jim. You want him, Curly? Sure, I don't know what's coming over me the way I feels at that man. It seems as though my heart was pitching and bucking like a mean hoss to get a Jim. Do you think it's this wound that tears my heart? Is it cause I'm so sick? It's worse nor that, my girl. You've fallen in love. Does that mean I got to marry him? That's the only cure. But I don't want to be cured. I like it, Dad, and when it hurts, I like it all the more. 
a sure bad symptom that you'll go with jim to the end of the world and over the edge i can't help that you don't love me any more oh you're always the same like the climate but he's come button along like the weather so that i feel as if i was just whirled up in the air i was an idiot to think i could fool old nature and make you into a man well it can't be helped daddy i never was fit to ride with the gang and i doubt i'll never be fit for a woman either now i'm surely tired and my head goes round and round McCalmont stopped the team and laid Curly down in her nest. He told me after that he felt lonesome and scared, with all his nerves a-jumping for fear there was something worse than usual wrong. He felt Curly's bandages, and his hand got wet, then listened and heard a drip, drip, drip on the dust, then struck a match and saw the running blood, for her wound had opened. He had to light a lantern, no matter what the risk, while he stopped that bleeding. Meanwhile, the marshal had started his circus east toward Holy Cross, and he was having troubles most plentiful with all his warriors. He held us in the name of the Republic for special service in pursuit of robbers, but his tenderfoot outfit was badly in want of supper, and the cowboy people got plumb disgusted at having to ride point swing and drive on a herd of shorthorns i'd shown my hand in this game by shooting buck the same being needful to save the old marshal's life and i sure helped him all i knew in getting the posse on towards holy cross at the same time my private feelings called me off to quite a different layout and i knew all to myself that buck might have been mistaken a whole lot in his way of reckoning up McCallum's plans, so I fell back to give a push to some stragglers, then fell back again to see if there was any more belated pilgrims behind. The light had faded, the stars were beginning to ride herd on the Milky Way, and I felt a sort of dumb yearning to find McCallum. An hour later, scouting swift and cautious up the Grave City Road, I saw a lantern bobbing high up among the hills. That must be a bait, I thought to lure the marshal's posse into some robber's deadfall so i rode slow and sang my simple rain songs to show it was only me one harmless person it be like go go long little doggie you'll make a beef steer by and by that's the rear song for driving a herd this is nonsense two little niggers upstairs in bed one turned over to the other and said how about that shortening bread? How about the shortening bread? A voice called out of the dark. Throw up your hands. Up went my paws. Hello, boys, I shouted. Is this the inquiry office? I wants my visiting card sent up to Cap McCallum. Somebody laughed, and then I heard Jim's voice. Why, it's Chalkeye. Well, if he don't want to be shot, he'd better turn right back. Just you tell your hold-ups, Jim, says I, that them letting go through pills don't suit my delicate health. I dropped my hands, and the first robber asked Jim if he would answer for me. Jim said he would. Take this man through, said the robber, and Jim led me, mighty pleased, to where the lantern shone. Captain, 
says he. Here's old Chalkeye. McCalmont jumped down from the buckboard, holding out his lantern. Wow, says he, I'm glad to see you, Mr. Davies. I certainly am. Shake hearty. Where are you from? Is Curly with you? Here's me, came a faint chirp out of the bedding. Her wound broke out again, says McCalmont. Her wound, I howled. Walt, that cat is surely spilled, says McCalmont. And so I knew for the first time that my Curly wasn't a boy, but come of a different breed of people altogether. I slid from my horse and sat down on a rock to unravel my mixed emotions. If that's the truth, I says, I suppose I may turn out to be a widow, the same being some confusing to the mind. Wow, Mrs. Davies, says McCalmont, I was going to propose that you act as a sort of chaperon to Curly. I rise to inquire, says I, if that's some new kind of mountain sheep. The name was new to me, and I felt suspicious. A mountain sheep, says McCalmont, is a cimarron, but a chaperon's defined as a party which rides herd on girls to protect them in society. Meaning that this carousing around in a wagon ain't good for wounds? Not when the hospital has to gallop over rocks. Seems to me, says I, that right apart from bullet holes in a lady, he'll need home comforts more'n an ordinary robber. Can you take her home then? I'm getting unpopular, says I. My home ain't fortified much. I rolled a cigarette to think with. Whereas, I got some cousins, which is ladies, the Mrs. Jameson. Their home is just the other side of the Jim Crow mine, between that and Grave City, and they has a fancy for stray cats, dogs, and outcasts generally. Seems to me, though, they'd be mighty near surprised if I played a wounded robber on them, calling the same a female. They ain't broke into lady outlaws damaged in gunfights yet. They're plumb respectable and frequents the Episcopal Church. The bishop boards thar when he happens around, and they'll take up with any litter of passing curates. I'm scarred, says Curly. Can't you bed me down in your barn? You'll go war your toll, says McCalmont, and stay put until you're well enough to fight. If you're scared, Curly, says I, these same ladies is due to have fits at the sight of your present costume. Now, if I could show them a case like you in the Bible, they'd think it right natural and all correct. Absalom, says Curly, had long hired. So does Buffalo Bill, Texas Bob, and other old longhorns, but the same ain't lady robbers. Besides, your hair is short and you're plumb unusual. I got a trunk full of female plunder, says McCalmont, and it's right here in the buckboard in case he needs to dress respectable. It's all tom to rags, says Curly, from that last bar hunt when I was treed by a grizzly, and the wig got stuck full of pine gum. These details of female dress in department, McCalmont was getting restive, seems to me to be some frivolous. The question is, do these year ladies run much to tongue? Well, no, that fashionable society of Grave City has struck them reticent. 
Miss Blossom says she'd rather mix up with buyers, and Miss Pansy, she allows our crowd lacks tone. No, these ladies don't go henning around to cackle. That settles it, said McCammon. Now you, Jim, you go back and tell these boys to join the herders in front, and I'll be with you presently. It ain't decent, my boy, for you to behold what's going to happen in the way of costume. So you just tell Curly good-bye, and we'll proceed with disguising her as a woman. When shall I see Curly again? asked Jim, in a fright. At such time when he's fit to ride. Now tell you good-bye. So Jim and Curly had a minute together while I helped McCalmont to get out the trunk of clothes. Then Jim rode off for the sake of decency, and I turned my back. There were arguments between McCalmont and Curly about how the female costume should be fixed. The parent wanted one side to the front, and the dutiful child insisted otherwise. When I was told to look, there was Curly grinning in surroundings of yellow wig, the same being bunched up behind like a clump of prickly pear. McCalmont rigged himself out in his preacher clothes cinched up his sorrel horse at the tail of the buckboard and tied his cowboy gear to the strings of the saddle. He turned to watch Jim and the robbers file past on their way to the front, then gave me his lantern. My friend, says he, when you go to the home of them ladies, drive straight across the open range to the back door, be thar before midnight, and if you love your life, don't stray out on the wagon road between the Jim Crow mine and Grave City. If you do, you'll get killed for sure. What shall I do with the buckboard? Lose it some wires, where it ain't apt to be found. Turn them team hosses loose and let them break for their home, as they surely will. And when Curly is well of this wound, then Jim will join you, and you'll take them children to some safe country so that they get married and forget this life. We planned all that before. You trust me still? It looks that way, my friend, and I don't trust my halves. He gripped my hand and went loping away into the night. End of chapter 21